Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. How's it going, man? Uh, it's funny. What's up? <laughs> it's funny we're laughing because for our normal show, we don't normally repeat our intro like five times, but for this show... We've had technical difficulties, which means we haven't streamed this live, or we've tried to, like five times. So we've asked each other yeah. five times how the other person is doing. Um, well, you see, you see, there's five of us on the show tonight. So we figured we needed to record five different intros to make sure that every single guest gets their own whole intro show now. No, I'm just kidding. We're having a ton of te technical <laughs> difficulties, but we are powering through. Yeah. So for people that are watching posts are like, really, what's going on? As in like, we don't care. We're just driving around listening. So just know that that's where we're coming from right in this moment. So we're kind of um, <laughs> running into problems. Yeah. Uh, well, now that we have kind of situated <laughs> ourselves through and what we're going to do is post record everything. So we're going to do all of our interviews. We are going to do everything as we normally would just without the live audience for this week. Right. And so who do we have, Nick, sitting um, in our green room right now? And you'd like in to the, introduce in the virtual reality green room. We have Valerie Manuhano, who I actually had the pleasure of meeting last year, her, her family. And um, we've slowly just seen each other at tournaments, became friends. So uh, we have Valerie as our first guest tonight. We have some awesome questions. She is a Texas native and just recently competed at the Vegas um, Challenge and then Memorial and also the Waco Annual Charity Open. There she is on camera, right, for everybody to see. So how's it going, Valerie? It's going good. How are you guys? Good. Totally cool to meet Very you. Well. I've never met you in person. Nick has, I'm, I think, right, Nick? Yep, I have. <laughs> awesome. So I'm just going to run through a few um, stats right now. Ninth highest rated female disc golfer in the world, a 948 player rating. I know that dropped a little bit, so you might feel a little like, uh, but that's that's pretty impressive. You averaged 954 at Waco. You finished eighth at Waco last year, sixth place this year. Um, how does that, how do you feel about that? What do you feel about your performance this year as opposed to maybe last year or even just how your expectations for this year? Um, to be honest, I feel like I'm starting off late than I did last year. I feel like I'm start, if that makes sense. I may have placed better this year, but I think my expectations are higher. Mm -hmm. No, so that definitely I makes sense. So I felt like every I played in, I had a really bad round. So like mm -hmm. Vegas, I believe it was my second round that I just played really, really bad in. And then Memorial, it was my third round. I believe I played really bad. And then Waco was my second round. I've shot really good, you know, 950, 970 rated round. And then I kicked it off with a 9, like 10 rated round. And it completely killed, I felt like, the momentum of my tournament. It went from, oh, I have a chance to win this to, well, let's see if I can get top five or better. Yep. And, you know, I know it's a learning process. And this is my first year on tour, but. I feel like I have a lot of like high expectations for myself. And like you mentioned, I believe I dropped like eight points just in this year alone. And for me, it's like, oh, it's not the way I wanted to start off. But, yeah. you know, we got to learn somehow. Yeah, because at some point last year, I'm pretty sure you were either fourth or fifth highest rated female player in the world. 
And so, yeah, I can totally get the frustrations and the expectations that you have going into a new season. And like you said, you're finally out on the road full time now. You um, and Alexis are both full time touring. Um, what some people might not know about you, though, is that you are a technically a three time world champion. 2014, 15 and 16. Can you tell us about those titles? Yeah, so I played um, Junior Worlds, like Nick mentioned, for three years, and uh, I won them all. Um, I don't know. Junior Worlds gave me a lot of learning experience, a lot of, Mason likes to put it out, a lot of winning. Like, you learn how to win early mm -hmm. on. And I think for myself, that's huge. Um, it kind of pushed me to where I am today because it made me competitive, like, it gave me that little taste of, oh, yeah, like, this is what it, it takes to win, and this is what it feels like to win, you know, a bigger tournament. And when I first played Junior Worlds, I was only playing for, I think, a year at the time, and I was the only girl, like, not sponsored, me and Alexis. So going to Junior Worlds, it's almost like a mini, like, pro Worlds. Everyone's sponsored, you know, you got some juniors hanging out with some of the best at the time, like Paul and Paige, and it's mm -hmm. like, it's pretty intense for me. It was like, well, I know I'm capable of winning and I'm not sponsored. You know, not being everyone's like, especially teenagers, they kind of look at you a little differently, like, hmm, you're not sponsored, so you must not be good. And it's like, for me, it was like, well, I want to show you how good I am not being sponsored. And I was so new into the game and it kind of like sparked this bigger fire I intended to ever have for the game. Very cool. Wow. Uh, something that stands out to me is your throwing form. Uh, you probably, I'm assuming, it, it gets commented on fairly often. Your form looks so good. Can you tell me, like, where did you learn to throw? Did you pattern it off of anybody or or who taught you? How did you learn to throw like that? Yeah. So, um, funny story, 2018, the beginning of the year, around like February, uh, Bradley Williams actually reached out to me and Alexis and he was like, hey, I was watching some of your videos and we just need to change your form completely. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? Change my form completely. He's like, yeah, we just need to redo thing. Come to Austin. And we had like a four hour. And um, I remember going home thinking like, wow, form is a new level for me. Like, I, I never was the person to say, like, I want good form. That's all I want. And then after learning, like, what he had to say and, like, how important form was, I was like, I want my form to be perfect. And I kind of just studied him and Paul. And then after AM Worlds in 2018, we actually went to, um, we went to Paul's house. And Paul was actually helping us a little bit about our form, pointing tips out and, you know, tricks about what we can do to improve our form. So, yeah, I'd give it to those two guys right there that taught us our form. And currently today, I'm still trying to, you know, improve it any how I can. Well, it's it, funny because, yeah, oh, go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, if it's inspiring to you at all, it's inspiring to me to watch and for me to actually look to you and think about how I need to change my form. Obviously, I'm not a professional disc golfer, but it is inspiring to me. So keep up the good work there. Thank it's, you. It's funny because, you know, you have... Paul Macbeth and you have his form and then Bradley Williams has very similar form. It's a little bit slower. And then you have Valerie, which is kind of that like funny mixture of both of them. So that's, <laughs> you know, you can actually, you can kind of tell that it does come from both of them, which is really cool. But like we said earlier, you do, you are touring this year. It's your first year. 
What does that look like for you? Do you have any specific goals that you have going on throughout the season? Um, for me, I think at the moment, it's just, it's funny we talk about form. It's, mm-hmm. That's one of the things I feel like has been off lately is just driving for me. And I feel like that's a huge, is, uh, that's one thing I'm trying to dial in right now. It's just getting my distance and my accuracy to be on point. Cause that's what I've been working on on the off season is trying to gain more distance. Mm-hmm. So for me, I think it's trying to get at least top five in almost, you know, every event I play in if not better. Wow. Yeah. Top five. That's a, that's a pretty tall order. Um, especially if, and when the Europeans come back. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. just, just out of curiosity, like where do you place yourself with the competition? I mean, obviously you have your, your, uh, historical tournament favorites and Paige Pierce and Katrina Allen, and the list goes on. Now there's a lot of newer players coming in. This is your, it, am I wrong? This is your first year actually trying to hit tour events on a more, a larger capacity. Um, where do you see yourself fitting in with those players? Like you say top five, is that, is that where you see yourself or do you feel like you, you're going to do better or worse depending on who's at the tournament? No, I feel like a good either top five, top four. I feel like if I can, you know, get my distance and my backhand together, I feel like I could be top five, if not better. Okay. And that was going to be actually the follow-up question there is, so what's it going to take to see you in a podium finish? So to get that third, second, or even first place, you mentioned just a few things you might like to improve upon. Uh, Maybe just elaborate a little bit, if you don't mind. What are those things that you think it will take to see you get on that podium finish? Um, well, like I mentioned, I think my backhand just needs to get consistent and I need to get more distance Mm -hmm. and I feel like I need to get my forehand dialed in. I felt like I had it dialed in a couple months ago, but I had a little injury with it where I felt like I put a muscle. So I had to take a break for a couple months. So obviously taking a break for a couple months, it means not practicing it and losing consistency with it. So I feel like now recently I've been trying to work, get it, work the right put so much into it where I, and I, same thing as far as it goes with my back in I got injured you know in 2019 and it cost me to lose distance so I felt like it's just trying to gain distance all over again but without getting re-injured mm. well yeah that makes sense and you're you're a big advocate I think you know following you on Instagram you do a lot of field work you Mason mm-hmm. and Alexis all do a lot of field work together and a lot of times when people kind of hear the name Valerie Manjuhano, or excuse me, Manjuhano. I had to uh, learn that. I thought the D was in a different spot of your last name earlier, oh. and Paul, Paul was laughing at me. But anywho, um, where you hear Valerie, you hear Alexis at the same time. Now, Alexis actually switched sponsorships over to Discraft this year, and you, congratulations to you, actually got a promotion with the Innova team. So now you're on the star team for Innova. You have a Tour Series Discs. Is it the Nexus AVR? Is that what it is? Uh, Galactic. The Galactic Avier. Okay, I knew it was one of the like really really pretty ones. So, what is that like? Does that how is that beneficial to you? Have you been putting with those for a while? Like, tell us about the new disc. Yeah, I've been putting with them since like the ending of last year. For me, playing in Texas so much, it's so hot out here. Where you know, my preference is not to have anything too grippy because I constantly sweat a lot in my hands. Mm-hmm. And so I used to putt with you know fireflies. And I, I found that they tend to be a little too tacky for me, especially in the summer. They work good in the winter, but summer out here is brutal. 
-hmm. So uh, putting with the galactic, I found I have a cleaner release. And for me, it was just something that I found beneficial and I just felt confident once I was putting with them. Um, but for Alexis, I don't know, it, it's cool to see her, I guess, grow as an individual because mm -hmm. I know I talked about this in some other interviews and I feel like so many people were just like, well, they're sponsored with Innova. They're related, you know, they're pretty much the same person. So I feel like now her switching yeah. to a different company, it shows people that we're two different people. And I think the more that you guys tend to know us, the more you'll see how like different we actually are. Exactly. But, yeah. And then also, getting you know, moving up onto the um, star team, how much Innova supports me. I'm really grateful for it and how, how they're willing to take my game can improve and how I can improve as a player this year. Very nice. I think it's kind of cool. Everyone's different preferences preferences in disc golf when it comes to tacky putters or more slick putters like you're talking about. Like for me, I like a putter as tacky as it can be. I don't care if it's summertime mm -hmm. or if it's wintertime, just something really, really grippy. And I know a lot of people like AVR is one of my biggest issues with those back in the day was they just felt a little bit too slick. But it's cool to see people out there just loving different types of discs. So congratulations to you on your new Galactic AVR. I think that's pretty awesome. Thank you. Yeah, totally. Thank and um, I just want to say we're excited to see another FPO player out there uh, giving it their all. We obviously just saw something fantastic this past weekend with FPO division um, in the player Kona Panis. Uh, what, what struck you about that victory as another competitor? Did anything stand out to you about that victory? Um, to be honest, no, I was I just knew it was a matter of time. I mean, I see how much Kona puts into work, you know, all the work that she does and how much she dedicates herself to the game. I feel like it's just a matter of time. I see all, you know, our generation, meaning all the girls, you know, early 20s, on how much work they're putting in. I feel like for us, compared to, you know, Paige and Katrina and a lot of the FPO players, Sarah, they have a lot of years on us, and now we're just trying to catch up. We're playing catch up with them. That's mm -hmm. the way I feel. So I feel like us putting all these extra hours in time, it's just a matter of time for it to pay off. Yeah, for sure. So Nick, you usually do this part, but I'm going to take it from you tonight. Is there anybody you'd like to shout out? Any any extra sponsors beyond who we've already addressed or anything that people could do to help support your touring efforts? Um, I'd like to shout out Pound Disco because they make great bags. Um, I fling plastic, birdie few. And I think a way you can support my tour is just, you know, support buying my disc, um, support my Instagram, follow me. And I appreciate that. Where, where can they find you on Instagram? What's the uh, tag? Valerie underscore Mondujano 99. Awesome. And go to, where would you find your tour series disc? Where's the best place? A local retail shop or going to Innova directly? Uh, Innova directly. Okay. Innova factory store. Cool. So everybody, go out, go check out these new Galactic AVRs. Um, help support Valerie. Help supporting the FPO players getting on tour. Uh, obviously, best of luck to you. I'm excited. Are you playing Belton in Texas States? I'm assuming. Yes, I will be there. Cool. So you got the little like home course advantages potentially down in the Texas. You've been down there. How how close are these? Do you like? Do you play them often? Um. There's still like two and a half, and where, I, where we will be playing Texas States is more like four hours for me. So they're pretty much a drive. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah definitely not home course advantage. Well, the home, <laughs> no, state, no, no. home state advantage, you have it. And uh, 
you and Paige Pierce. So, um, excuse me, good luck to you. Um, we'll be watching along, and then hopefully we'll have you on the show again sometime soon. Yeah, I would love that. Thanks, guys. All right, cool. thanks a Take lot, Valerie. Easy. We'll see you around. We're rooting Thank for you. you. All right, bye. Thank you so much. Peace. All right, so that was uh, Valerie, everybody. And it's not often we get to have two FPO players on our show. So we're going to work on here in the next few minutes trying to get Kona in. Nick, what stood out to you? Um, I was going to say, while Matt is doing that, yeah. I'm going to talk to you guys <laughs> about what stood out to me. No, I've uh, I've known Valerie for about a year now. Um, it's obviously seeing her at tournaments here and there. I know the dedication that her, Mason, and um, her sister Alexis put in. So I'm super excited Bruce. to see them go out on tour and you know just better themselves. I think it was a, kind of a long time coming for them to go out on tour. And especially right now during the whole little Texas swing, be on the lookout for their names to be towards the top. Yeah, for sure. And um, I thought what stood out to me when we asked her about Kona and her round, and mm -hmm. I said, did anything stand out to you about that victory? Did you catch what she said, Nick? Yeah, she was like, mm, nothing really. It was just only a matter of time. <laughs> she said, yeah, she, literally. She's like, I, and she said, no, I wasn't surprised. It was a matter of time. You're right. Uh, I think that was really telling of what people are perceiving other competitors yep. are perceiving on the course. Um, me from afar, you out in the course sometimes, seeing what's mm -hmm. happening you know, through Disc Golf Network, not fully seeing all the effort. Obviously, we see our social media, and we do mm -hmm. see that you know she can post throws and putts, but like not actually seeing the grind. Mm -hmm. So for some of us, it came off as just like this, really? Like we didn't know this was going to happen. Valerie, yeah, Valerie, exactly. Valerie said differently. So that's, I think that was really cool. Um, all yeah, right. I think that's definitely something as competitors, it's really fun to appreciate. It's just like, you can see how much someone else is working and you can appreciate that and saying like, look, they deserve that. Like it, it was their time for sure. Yeah. And so I want to say without further ado, Nick, we're actually uh, lined up here with the recent Waco champion known by the name Kona Panis. I, I want to say live, live and recording. We're still going with the live feeling. Unfortunately, Kona, the technical difficulties tonight, people are not live streaming and chatting, which means there's going to be shocked later by what you say. We're going to put it up tonight. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kona. Congratulations. Congratulations. Can I ask you this first question on a scale of one to 10 with uh, one being very poor, 10 being like perfect. How would you rate your tournament play this last weekend? Probably a 8.9. Wow. Very <laughs> precise. Care to elaborate on that, Kona? Um, you know, I had a few hiccups. I took that seven on the last round and then proceeded to take a five directly after it. That was very frustrating. Um, you know, even with my big lead, I wanted to shoot another, you know, really good round and I didn't want any huge mistakes. And that seven irked me because, uh, you know, the first two rounds, I didn't really have any other big numbers. Mm -hmm. I got a couple of questions on it. So you averaged 996 throughout the tournament. Is that your highest tournament average you've ever had? Oh, for sure. I think I've only had 1000 rated round ever. And you uh, had two in one tournament. I know. Pretty, <laughs> Pretty cool. exciting. Yes. And Very I, exciting. It's, it's kind of interesting, you know, Paige just, you know, she, her rating just went to 996, I believe. So mm -hmm. it's kind of, 
kind of funny that I, you know, averaged 996. So that's the cool thing. Yes. I think what's cool about that is that's what it takes to win a tournament is, you know, Paige, obviously with an incredible monument of the 996 player rating, that's what you had to average to win a tournament. But you did have two rounds over that thousand mark, which is pretty incredible. Those tournament rounds were nearly 70 points above your player rating. And you beat your closest competitor by 12 strokes. What was going on with this tournament? Like what kind of made everything click? Because from my point of view, I watched it, you know, after my round, after Paul's round, we went and watched the FPO coverage. And I remember vividly the last round on hole 13, you left your upshot a little bit short in circle two. You had to throw a little Annie um, to the right of a tree. And then you had like a 28 footer going back to the basket. And you just nailed it right on the pro side, went right in the basket. It was just confident putts after confident putts after confident putts. And I know that's something that you've been working on over the last few years is finding the consistency in that. What made everything click at this tournament? I think, you know, just like you said, it was the confident putting, knowing that, you know, putting myself anywhere throughout, you know, the circle, it didn't really matter. Like I felt like it was just like my timing on my putt was so perfect. And um, I think I give a lot of credit to my trigger. If you watch my putt, I'm going to, I'm putting out a putting tutorial soon. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you watch my putt, like my foot is my trigger. If you watch when I go to throw, um, like to make my putt <laughs> throw, it's a throw putt. Uh, but when I do, when I'm about to go, you'll see my front foot hit the ground. And that's like right when I like release. And like whenever I feel like my putt's getting a little off, whether it's right or left, I just go back, like I go back to the foot. Like as soon as that foot goes like straight forward, that's when I'm supposed to release. And like it has just so, it's fixed my timing completely. I'm releasing on the same release every time. Um, so my hit has just been like amazing and just knowing that like wherever I put myself, I, I, I've improved my scramble game. It's mm-hmm. just been the putt that's been struggling. So, you mm-hmm. know, once I, I found this putt that everybody loves to talk crap about, I've been, you know, I've been loving it. Okay. That's cool. Cause so in 2016 is actually the first time that Kona and I have met. She stayed at my house for a week during the Vibram open back then. Um, her and Hannah have been friends. They actually both stayed there with my family. And um, I remember playing a practice round with Kona and right off the bat, I knew Kona had a phenomenal back end. And I remember during the tournament, I was following around with her and she actually, she crushed it over hole one. It would have been blues at the time for the FPO layout. They played hole one blues. So you got to throw it over the lake and she smashed it like 40 or 50 feet past a white basket. And I was like, wow, like, it was very, very impressive. And then slowly and surely you've developed your forehand game. But what was always lacking, and a lot of people can say this about their own game, is finding that consistent putting stroke. And believe me, there are MPO players, FPO players, MP40, FP40 who have awkward style of putting to the outside world. But ultimately, whatever is working for you and whatever is consistently putting you in the basket, whatever consistently gives you the confidence to go and throw that putt, go for it. I mean, we can see you proved it last weekend that your throw putt that people, you know, you say like to make fun of, it's working for you. So why, you know, why change well, it at that point? It, and I'm just going to say it. I'm not a hater, but it looks, mm-hmm. it looks weird. And I think I say that because I, I say that because we're not used to seeing that with anybody else. So Kona, you mentioned, you know, um, haters you know, or people that love to hate on it. 
Um, how is that? How is that coming across to you? Like, where are you seeing that? Number one, is it primarily social media, and how are you dealing with that? Because to Nick's point, put the way it works. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's just been my mindset this year. I'm more positive. I'm really. Uh, not really giving in to those haters. If anything, they're kind of fueling me more this year than breaking me down. I don't know if that's just the confidence that I'm bringing to the table, just because Colton and I have been working so hard this past off season that like, I know I can back it up, you know, talk all the crap you want, but I'll keep banging those putts. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it's mostly on, you know, social media. I have, I think I, on national, international women's day, I had a guy message me and say, you know, your putt is absolute trash. And I was like, dude, like, all right, I want to see you out here at the DGPT uh, playing. I want to see exactly. you, you know, hitting the road, you know, playing these events. And I snapped right back and I was like, excuse you. Like, it just, it sucks that, you know, people have to say those things. But, uh, you know, like I said, the confidence is through the through the roof with this. And I, I, I haven't really, it hasn't really bugged me because it's been working. And it's been going in the basket and it's so cool seeing them go in the basket. I'm not yipping or like always missing in a certain direction. Like I just feel like I'm hitting these putts and it's, it's been huge. For what it's worth. I said it looked very weird and I was just being very transparent. I'll get used to it. So that's not a big deal because I think we're going to, I think we're, (laughs) I think we're going to see it a lot more um, on coverage and it's one of those things where watching the tournament round, which I consume live disc golf, and it was totally impressive. So again, congratulations to you. Can I follow that up by asking, and uh, people people like to hate on everybody. People like to hate on me for the way I ask some of these questions, but I just try to let you have an opportunity to respond in a way that speaks to it. Is this something that we should expect? Uh, I know our last interview with you, um, I don't remember how long ago, six months ago, when the Disc Golf Pro Tour was still in its COVID season. It still kind of is, of course. Um, you said, oh, it's going to take some things coming together, but yeah, I think you should expect to see me on some lead cards, on some podium finishes. And we kind of waited the rest of that year out, and I don't think we saw any, correct me if I'm wrong, like podium finish. Um, but then you come out of the gate this year, pretty strong at Las Vegas, and then obviously doing what and I don't know if we're going to wait until you're off of this interview but like I actually have a talking point that this could be one of the most significant wins of the disc golf decade I really believe that and we're going to talk about that a little bit but is this something that we should expect out of you going forward from here do you feel like you played well above your average of where you should be like what do you think Uh, I think you know sky's the limit I think I can do some amazing things but uh, like I keep saying in every interview that I've been asked, I have, I have no expectations. I'm taking every tournament day by day and, you know, enjoying the ride. You know, like I said, during, you know, my interview with Terry, I feel like I'm just enjoying every minute of my round. Like when I was playing the beast, like I didn't like, of course, the first three few holes, you know, I was shaky. I was nervous. You know, I've never had such a big lead. And I was, you know, it's always that voice in the back of your head saying, you know, are you going to go take a seven and then like a six and then, you know, mess it up? Like, you never know. Like, people think you're going to have those wheels come off and they just didn't for me. So, you know, I haven't been put in that position before and to be able to just hold on to it and everything was huge. But, you know, I, I, I hope that you all see me on some more lead cards and I hope that I can win another one. But, you know, I have no expectations and I'm, I'm just loving the ride. 
Yeah, as long as you keep going out there and keep putting in the work, there's definitely we're obviously going to see you on more FPO lead cards, and we're obviously going to see you win more FPO DGPT tournaments and above. Um, you were kind of just elaborating it on a little bit. Um, your mindset in that last round, you could tell you were focused, your determination, you had that kind of like stone cold killer look going about you. What was going through your head? Uh, walking into the last round, I think you had a 10 or 12 stroke lead. What was the mindset going in like after the front nine? When did you feel like you won the tournament? When I tapped out on 18. I that's when I that. that's when I knew I won the tournament Good boy. because on hole nine I I took that seven. And like if you watch the you know the live or when mm-hmm. GK Pro puts it out, I'm gonna do a little spoiler on that. But like I was kind of upset, like because mm-hmm. like I my clean my my scorecards have been so clean, so blue. And I didn't want any yellow, and I had that yellow, and that, that definitely, gosh, that irked me. And then on, mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's hole 15, I went out of bounds because of a yep. misread of the wind. Oh, and I was like, yeah, you can tell on there, too. I was salty. I was like, I wanted to minimize all my OBs. Like, I still had mm-hmm. expectations for this round, even mm-hmm. though I had this big lead. Like, the lead didn't matter to me. Like, I have expectations, at least for, you know, how I want to play. And I definitely wanted to go. I don't know if I wanted to go bogey free. I think I kind of expected, you know, with the nerves of the last round and you oh, know, gosh, at least yeah. have something. But, uh, but yeah. How, how did you demonstrate the composure, though? You talked about being salty about some things and some things not going your way. Um, but from my perspective, and I can only speak for me, but I think there's probably more people out there like me. I I don't know how to compare this, but this focus, composure, professional appearance, um, and I'll use the word again, focused. Like, you could tell you were just, this is my job right now. Nothing is taking for granted. I don't care if I have 12-stroke lead. This is still my job, and I'm going to finish out strong. I mean, where did you learn that kind of composure? You know, I don't know. I felt, I don't know. It was a different, this tournament and this and all-star I had, I just felt completely different as a player. Like I just, like everyone keeps saying it. I felt so composed. Like I totally felt like so chill. Like Lisa and I were hyping each other up. Like she would throw like a sick shot and I, you know, she'd come over and give me knuckles and she's like, you know, sick, you know, we kept on, you know, pumping each other up. So it's like, yeah, it was like quiet at times. And like, there's like 700 camera guys recording you and like, getting in the way like I usually like being directly behind the player because I like seeing their shot and you know Mm -hmm. checking their feet and like the camera guys are like in the way and like they're behind them and I'm like I want to see like what they're doing what their lines looking like and so it's like it's completely different but you know I enjoyed my card I I loved my card and I just I, I just didn't feel too much pressure I just felt like I belonged there wow so then we're gonna take you to that last tap out putt uh, where you said you finally, that's when you knew you won it. Um, so you knew your score, obviously, or you knew at the very least you went in with such a lead and you knew you didn't lose it. So whether you knew it or not, that, that you knew you won it when you tapped out. Um, and then I think it's very um, authentic, the reaction. I don't think you're trained to cry on demand. Um, can you explain a little bit the emotions that you were feeling in that moment and what it was that, what those feelings were and um, what it was about that moment that brought them. 
Yeah, I don't like crying in front of people, and I cried in front of people, uh, so that was kind of awkward. Madison came over and hugged me, and I'm just like, ah, I promise I'm not crying. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I tapped out on 18, or no, I actually laid up on 18, and I kind of mm-hmm. like was staring at the ground waiting for everybody to finish out, and, you know, just like right sitting there, I was just looking at the ground, and I just like, you know, I just got overcome. I and I've been working so hard. I said it during the interview. I cried during the interview and Terry asked me, you know, I've been working so hard and to be able to go out there and not only be, you know, our number one rated player at rated at 996 when I'm rated at 927 and like Katrina and Sarah Holcomb and all of these women that I've been like, wow, these people are gods. How are they shooting all these rounds? And to like mm-hmm. go out and beat these ladies that I've looked up to for a very long time it's just crazy to me. And it just like it over, I I saw Colton and I was looking over at Cole and then, you know, like it just so special. And like, I I called my parents afterwards and they were all, they're crying and everybody was crying. I guess the commentators were even crying. So, you know, like it was just really special. Everybody, everybody knows, like you said, on social media, I've been all over social media for such a long time. Nick caddied for me when I Mm -hmm. shot one of my worst rounds ever and I remember calling my dad and bawling and telling him how upset and how bad I was playing you know like it's like I've been working towards this forever and I finally did it you know like boom check finally you got that check mark down there it's funny you're reading my mind you're always bringing up little bits and pieces of the next question I have and the next one I have for you is your parents they're obviously you know, pretty big cheerleaders in your life when it comes to the disc golf world. Uh, your mom's a super nice lady, and your dad actually works in the disc golf world. And Jeff's the man. Jeff's got incredible photography, videography skills, works for Innova Champion Discs. Um, just an all-around incredible guy. Um, and you've brought up before that they send you support messages throughout the week. You know, you were able to call your dad back in 2016 and just pour out your heart saying, you know, this is going so bad, this is going so poorly. But now you finally hit that weekend to where you got to call your parents and say, look, I did it. What was that like? What were the emotions going through? You know, how did that conversation go with them? It was crazy. So my mom doesn't watch scores. My dad does, but my mom's like, I don't want to know until the round is done. She like gets way too stressed out. So like they're in Hawaii right now. And uh, they like, were, I, I know, I know, dude, tell him, I know yeah, right. they left without me. Um, <laughs> But Kona, you can either have yeah, a trip to Hawaii or you can win Waco. Which or you do you can win choose? a tournament. <laughs> yeah, I, I pick the tournament right now. Yes, I would too. But uh, you know, I I think after the second round, I like called my mom, and she's like, she's like, what the heck? We we just went off snorkeling, and all of a sudden you're leading by ten strokes. What is going on? You know, like totally crazy moment. Just talking to my parents about it, and. You know, when I, I called them, they didn't have service right after the tournament. But when I called them, they were both like, Wee! you know, like my my mm-hmm. mom was always the screamer at the basketball games. So uh, she was like, Wee! let's go. You know, oh my gosh. Um, so, you know, crazy moment. They've been so supportive. I mean, they let me choose disc golf over forcing me to like go to college and do mm-hmm. something that I didn't know I wanted to do. They let me do that. And we moved to California so I could do that. And so my dad could become a part of like Innova and do that Mm -hmm. so it's like it's become this whole family affair now my mom works for Hero Disc which is a branch off of Innova and so it's like everybody's involved my brother even works at Hero Disc helping stamp so it's like a family affair 
Very cool. Like, actually, I did not know that about your mom and brother. That's awesome. So as a follow-up on that, um, as we get ready to wrap this up, I think in the last interview that we had with you on our show, which thank you again for honestly, when you did make my day when you said, I'm in, I was like, yes, we got mm-hmm. this great interview with Kona. Um, exactly. Let me... Let me let me round it out like this, saying last time we asked you like, hey, is this your career? Is this going to be what you choose to do? Because at that moment, it was a different moment than it is now even. But you obviously have had your brain and your mind set to get to this point. So you knew it before we did. <laughs> but do you see this as being your like there's no other option right now. You're going to keep going full tilt in disc golf. I think so. You know, it's, it's not only the competitive side that like, oh, I want to make this a career. It's all like the things involved with it. It's all the people involved. It's our community. It's the social media bringing us all together. You know, Mm -hmm. I've, I've connected with so many people over social media. I've made so many connections and, you know, it's not, it's not only playing, playing is the fun part for me and gets to show my competitive side. But like it's it's all the other stuff involved. It's being able to give back to, you know, our sport and help grow our women's side of the sport. You know, that's the biggest thing right now. So, yeah, no, it's 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 the career for now until my body doesn't let me. (laughs) That sounds like a little while. (laughs) Good to hear. (laughs) Um, So one thing you what is your signature series discs? Is it the Emperor? Is that the name of it? Yes, the iBlend Emperor with Infinite and then the Star Mako 3 with Innova. And that's so you were promoted to team champion this year, correct? Yes. Okay, awesome. So while we're kind of like wrapping this up, we always want to give everyone uh, where can they find you on Instagram and what is the best way to support you out on the road? So if you can give us all those, that would be awesome. So you can follow me on Instagram on Kona underscore disc, or I have a Facebook page, Kona uh, Pianist Disc Golf. And uh, you can get my iBlend Emperors on the infinitediscs.com, uh, I believe. And my Star Mako 3s have been sold out for a while, and we do not know when restock will happen. So stay tuned to my stories. I'm pretty good at putting up when those are available. Awesome. Be on the lookout for the Star Mako 3s. Um, pretty swirly from what I've seen, I think, online. So congratulations, obviously, for winning the Bef- Waco tournament. Before you and go. And also, yeah. Before you go, I just caught something there. You know that you got promoted this year. Like, was this like insider trading? <laughs> like, she's like, hey, I'm going to go out and win Waco. If you promote me, I'm going to do it. So then it was like, okay, yeah, we'll do it. We'll sell a lot of discs. We'll be, it's great. It's insider trading. You were holding back until they promoted you. Is that how that worked? Oh, yep. <laughs> totally. Oh, you got it. She's got the all-star event and then she's got Waco now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, are you, are you playing, what are the next, uh, are you doing Waco and, or excuse me, Belton and Texas States? We are. We just got to Belton yesterday. We've been uh, kind of hanging out. Today was our off day slash laundry day, and then we will be at Texas States. Awesome. Well, everybody, be on the lookout for new Star Mako 3s. Uh, check out Kona's Instagram. Congratulations once again, and best of luck to you, obviously. We'll see you in the near future, and hopefully we will have you on the show again sometime soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Good luck, Thank Kona. You. Have a good night. Peace. Bye. Bye. All right, Nick. So obviously that was the Waco FPO champion and the, I I should just say winner of the Waco, uh, the Waco annual charity open, by the way, was that on purpose? 
WACO, the, you know, the acronym, was that on purpose? Someone's like, hey, Waco can stand for Waco Annual Charity Open. Do you know? I, I would assume so, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah. It has to be. I, I, would, I would have to assume so. Okay. But that so, I'm not 100% sure. So what stood, man. A lot stood out. She's she's even composed like in her interview. It's like just she yeah. knows what she's saying. It's funny. She's not super like aggressive with her answers, which is kind of cool. She's like you said, she's composed. Like when you ask her, you know, is this something we should see more out of you and everything like she's like, yeah, I mean, I don't really have, you know, expectations towards it. She's kind of taking it day by day when you'd have other people be like, oh, heck, yeah, you're going to see me on every single lead card till the end of time. Um so yeah, her her answers are very composed. She is a very composed person out on the course and even off the course when, you know, people see her. Yeah, and I said we'll talk about it later. I can dabble in it a little bit right now, and it might be a, a pretty big take here. But I feel like mm -hmm. what she did, you could almost not even have to classify it and say that it was one of the bigger statement wins of... I don't know if I can advance a decade forward because I don't know what's happening. But like, when have we seen a win with the likes of Paige Pierce, Katrina Allen, and the whole FPO field in general? Yeah. So even go yeah. uh, um, Haley King, Heather Young, mm -hmm. and now obviously Valerie. The field is stronger and more stacked than it's ever been. And for her to do it in such a way where she has a 12-stroke victory... Yeah. Have we seen anything that dominant minus maybe a Paul Macbeth victory at Worlds one year when he had such a lead? Like Yeah, I was going to I was going to say I I remember the commentators every so often keep bringing back some record and I think it was if Kona had shot x amount or like won the tournament by a certain amount of strokes, she would have the record for either all-time DGPT wins or something like that. I I know she was close to doing something insanely special. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't know the statistics right off the top of my head, but yeah, to go out and win the way she did pr pretty incredible, especially with the field that there was there. It's not like, you know, not to take anything away from the all-star event, but the all-star event only had the eight, uh, FPO women that were there. And then, so now taking on the, oh, excuse me. It was only four FPO women, right? Well, and yeah. it's just in general, and even the commentators were kind of alluding know, to this. Yeah, yeah, but in general, even mm -hmm. then, that is like it's it's a totally different format. You you couldn't even say like she won that outright on her own. Like she finished, no, yeah, she exactly. finished, and that's a, she finished yeah. it out on her own, which is yep. impressive. But to do this yep. wire to wire, Waco with such a lead the whole way to, I mean, I don't know what to say. Exactly. In the chats or in the comments later, if you want to write us, what do you think? Is that too big of a take? To say that that's one of the most dominant victories we've ever seen in any division um, yeah. in a tournament play with with the strength of competitor. That's what I want to say with the strength yeah. of the field. I think it's kind of funny. I think I saw this on Twitter the other day before we bring in our last guest. Um, I had seen Enema Champion Discs or USDGC had posted on Twitter saying shout out to the last time, you know, one of these times that Ken Climo had won USDGC and he won about like 13 strokes. You know, a major championship and can't climb. I went out one by 13. So I just thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. But, so, yeah. so wait. So you're bringing up um, Ken Climo in this conversation. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Just, you know, when you're talking about, because there, there are multiple tournaments where you can look back and, you know, really see, 
a player dominate the rest. Um, I know Ricky had a big lead last year at Ledgestone. Uh, Paul, obviously, in 2015 Worlds, had won it by a pretty significant amount. Um, That's where I go back to for Worlds. Ledgestone, maybe, yeah. Maybe Ledgestone for Ricky. But in general, this is up there. I I don't know. This is up there. I can't remember the last time an MPO player won by double digits at a large-scale event, especially within the last few years. I don't think it's happened. But um, I think the most you would see is like five, six, seven. Maybe I know Kevin Jones won GMC last year by maybe four or something like that. Okay. Well, so all that being said, we can come back to that at another point. I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss that opportunity to talk about how great that was. Thank you, Kona, so much for coming on the show. We yeah. do have another guest. This is, I think, our first time, Nick. We've ever done three mm-hmm. interviews on a show, recording live. <coughs> we have our next guest, Gannon Burr, um, in our green room, now actually on live with us here. Uh, Gannon is a 15-year-old. Do I get that right, Gannon? People were asking everywhere. Are you 15 years old? Yes, I'm 15. All right, so 15 years old. Uh, and... You don't have a driver's license, so someone had to drive you to Waco. Who drove you there? Oh, uh, my my mom did. Okay, so are you guys are you guys originally from Texas? No, I live in Iowa. Oh, okay, gotcha. So you drove all the way down. Did you guys drive all the way down from Iowa, or did you fly into Waco area, get a hotel, get a rental car, and all that jazz? Yeah, we drove all the way down. It was about twelve hours. Nice, good for you. Okay. Mm-hmm. So let me definitely well worth the trip at this point. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So let me get some of these, uh, player accolades out of the way. You are the youngest player, if I'm not mistaken, at age 14 to reach a thousand rating point as a player rating. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. And four years ago you won junior worlds. Um, you took home first place in junior three division in 2017 um, and you averaged 972 over the course of six rounds, um, with 1,020 being your hot round. In 2017, how old were you? Do you remember? <laughs> um, I think I just turned 12. Okay. So 12 years old, you threw around 1,020 um, in one of those six rounds, averaged 972 at age 12. Um, and then let me just give this other one out there. In 2019, you took down, so this was only two years ago or maybe a little over a year and a half ago, you took down the mm-hmm. Junior 15 World Championship. You averaged 1,000 rated golf over six rounds. Um, that's really impressive. Have you been playing disc golf your whole life? And I know it sounds funny to ask if you've been playing since you were 11 probably, but how far back does this go for you? Um, really since I was 10 pretty much is when I started. <laughs> I'm just taken back. You started at 10 and then a year or so later, you're throwing thousand rated rounds. How did that happen? Well, really I was just watching Will Schustrick videos and I just put tons of work in. Um, and a lot of it wasn't even like, it wasn't work. I just was having fun in my, my backyard and just, I was out there, you know, five, six hours a day, just throwing and throwing and throwing and, watching form videos and just working on my game really very nice so you're thousand seven rated now is that correct mm-hmm. okay so thousand seven rated did that did that go up or down in this previous update uh no it hasn't changed oh, okay gotcha all right so thousand seven but your average at waco was just about ten thirty six. after leaving the event and thinking through it how do you feel like performance wise what would you rate yourself on a scale of one to ten one being the worst ten being the best 
probably a seven. I was definitely really disappointed with the amount of strokes I left out there because, I mean, I think I lost by nine. And just thinking back to every single round on how many strokes I left out there and the mistakes I made, I definitely think I could have won the event and shot way better, honestly. Wow. Where do you think you, like, what, what were areas that you feel like you messed up on? Was there a certain hole that got you every single round? What, what happened? Really just the, first, uh, the last two rounds, I wasn't able to really um, take advantage of the front nine birdies. I think I was, uh, round two, I was even. I only had two birdies and I double bogey hole nine. And then uh, yesterday, round three, I only had two birdies on the front nine, where round one, I was six down through nine. Gotcha. Yeah, I would definitely say in the front nine of that, the back nine definitely has a lot of birdie opportunities, but the front nine on that course, they're definitely out there. Uh, players who got that accuracy in the woods and can throw that 450, 500 foot shot, they definitely have good advantages on that course. But there are a couple of holes out there that get pretty technical, nine, 12, and 18 17 as well, actually probably being the most technical. Um, so you're saying hole nine, you double bogey the second round. Was mm-hmm. that kind of the one bad hole around maybe? Yeah, that was like my only bad hole of the tournament, I feel like. And honestly, it was just something that I missed my tee shot by a few feet. And mm-hmm. my second shot got really unlucky. And if I was a foot to the right, I would have had an easy par. Gotcha. Wow. Um I'm I'm hearing things, Nick, we're going to have to talk about after this interview. That's awesome, Gannon. Uh, I saw a social post. Um, I think it was after round number one where you had mentioned you're not going to be thrown off or nervous about video cameras on the lead card for the round two because you made lead card. Um, number one, how were you so sure of that to make that post? To let everyone know you weren't going to be nervous about it. And then secondly, were you right um, about that? What did the cameras do for you? 100%. Like, I definitely was not nervous at all. I've Cameras have never, ever gotten to me. Um, I just I just kind of forget about them. I don't even realize they're there. But I, I think I shot a 10-28 rated round after my rough start. And really, the rough start was just due to uh, me not getting in a rhythm. And I definitely I wasn't nervous at all. I was The only reason I was nervous was because I knew I had to still shoot good. It wasn't because the cameras. It wasn't anything else and i feel like i handed it handled it pretty well okay so you mentioned there was a little bit different feeling there because you felt like you still had to shoot good um Mm -hmm. so that feeling i was just going to ask you what was the feeling on the lead card for round two maybe between you and the other competitors or just in general like what was the feeling that you experienced in that round it was just very quiet which i really don't like because the first round um I actually played with Gavin round one and my other card mates, we talked the entire round and it really just felt like a practice round. It was really laid back and it just felt like tons of fun. And that's when I shoot my best golf is when I'm laid back. And I think that's why Gavin did well too. But round two, we just, we did not talk at all really. Um, and I think that's what I was told is that's just what happens on the lead card. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm not surprised by, it. I kind of expected it, but um yeah, definitely just it was like eerie almost, just so quiet. Um, just everyone was in their focus, but really it kind of didn't help me. Okay, that's I, I, and I didn't have this in my follow-up questions here, but I think that's interesting to ask you as such a, and I'm going to call you a young player. That's just relative to the comp- competition, I should say. Um, but as a younger player, um, how do you see yourself developing to where 
those opportunities aren't going to be what you're used to maybe when you shoot your best like have you did you learn anything after this tournament uh, about that have you thought about that yet to think about the future um i don't know i just i just couldn't get my rhythm the last two rounds and i think it i don't know what it really was and i couldn't get that rhythm um the whole front nine so mm -hmm. i think it just comes down to more practice really um but yeah you did mention that you used to watch sure trick videos. Um, mm -hmm. You've watched videos to develop your form and everything like that. Um, I personally haven't seen you play yet. I haven't watched any of the coverage from the event just with all travel and everything. But um, do you feel like there was something in your game that was lacking, whether your backhand felt off or your forehand or putting or anything like that? Like what are ways that you're trying to get better right now? Really? Um... I'm working with a backhand fan grip um, right now. I'm power gripping everything. I, and I, before my knee injury, which I can get to a little bit later, um, I was throwing lots of fan grips within 300 feet. And I just lost that feel ever since then. Um, but another thing is my sidearm power. I used to have close to 425 feet of power with my sidearm. And now I can barely maybe reach 400, uh, but probably around 375 which I would definitely like to have more, and it, it does stem from my knee injury. Um, and then just uh, confidence on the putting green. I know a few years back I would just step up and pretty much drain every putt that was in my face, and then now I'm just thinking a little bit too much, I think, and i got to uh, continue to de develop a routine. That way I don't have to think about it. Do you plan on touring to more Elite Series events this year? Uh, yeah, I'll be playing – probably about six more DGPT events, maybe a few NTs, um, not full tour. A lot of it is because I, I can't drive, but mm -hmm. um, money's all, also an issue. Mm -hmm. But uh, definitely, I, it's just kind of an experiment this year almost just to see how I do out on tour. And my goal for the whole year was to get one top 10 finish, and I was I was two feet away from that in hole 17. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be I was going to say, what, you, what did you finish at at Waco? 11th tied okay. for 11th gotcha so tied for 11th place and then how does school come into this whole equation 15 years old obviously you're in high school how does that play in um i, I do online school that's mm -hmm. uh when that's what they offer for uh my district mm -hmm. so i'll just take my computer with me and uh, do the work when i'm you know off the course or right. most of the time i'll procrastinate and then just do it at the last yeah. second there you go that's, <laughs> yeah. that sounds a lot like me yeah St stereo stereotypical teenager and i, I worked with teenagers yeah. for a long time um so it's, it sounds to me like you said it's it's kind of like an experiment this year i would like to think that you just made a pretty big statement as a 15 year old even being 11th place <laughs> heck I feel like being 20th place would have been a statement, but uh, to be on a lead card after round one, can I ask like, and maybe it's personal, but like, what did your parents have to say about that when they're like, <laughs> were they surprised or were they like, Hey, Gannon, we knew you could do it. What was their response? Honestly, me and my mom and my dad, my dad was really surprised, but he doesn't watch me play that much. But my mom who takes me to pretty much every tournament like, we just really weren't surprised by my play round one. It just felt like I was just doing what I always do. And a lot of that, like, like I mean, she's watched me play so much. But um, it was it's kind of weird because I haven't had, like, a legit round since, like, September in 2019 because I had um, off-season happen. I mean, I'm from Iowa, so it gets really cold here in the winter. Mm -hmm. I usually don't play till April. 
And then we had Corona, which went up almost until June. And pretty much the day that they released the tournaments back, I hurt my knee and then I was out for four more months. And when I came back, I could like barely walk. Um, I had no sidearm. I was going like 40% speed. And pretty much all my tournaments in 2020 weren't like legit, I'd say. So, but, but yeah, we, we weren't really surprised by the way I played, but more of where I was placed at after yeah, round one. Yeah. Well, talk to us about the knee injury. What happened to it? How does it feel now? What's going on? Um, so I was skateboarding in May, late May in 2020. And I was turning right around a corner going about 20 miles an hour. I was, I was actually longboarding. It was like an electric one. So you can control the speed and everything. Mm -hmm. It's kind of cool. But, uh, I'd done that corner many times before and I just wasn't going to make it. So I hopped off the board to like run it out almost. And the second my left foot planted, I just felt a pop in my knee. And within minutes, it was the size of like a grapefruit and I couldn't walk on it. And then went straight to the ER and found out they originally said it was an ACL tear. Um, but they, because of the tests they did, but they weren't certain. So they got a MRI and the MRI revealed that I had a ACL avulsion fracture. So basically your ACL is between your two leg bones and it connects between them. Um, and a lot of times when, and this is, happens in kids a lot, usually about 15 to like seven, um, your skeletal structure hasn't uh, developed fully. So a lot of the times the ACL actually pulls a piece of bone off with it. The ACL doesn't tear. Mm -hmm. So what happened with me is it pulled a piece of my tibia off the bone so all they had to do, so they drilled a hole all the way through my tibia on my left leg, put the bone back where it broke off and let it heal for two months. And then we did physical therapy and I was back to playing disc golf within four months. Even I was going super slow, almost putting no weight through it. Um, it's a lot easier uh, injury to recover from than an ACL tear because mm -hmm. bone heals really nicely and I didn't have to get a graft. So, yep. I mean, I, it was definitely like rock solid pretty much. How do you feel, you know, percentage-wise? 100%, 80%? What do you feel? Uh, about 75. 75. And, and a lot of that is because, like, my sidearm. And, like, my game just kind of feels weird almost because mm -hmm. no matter how hard I try, it's a, it's a brain thing where my brain just won't let my body do what I, like, need to do with my sidearm. My foot's planting way too late where because my leg doesn't want to be rotated on because mm -hmm. of my plant leg. Mm -hmm. um, backhand it really just affects my run-up speed, which I have a pretty solid run-up speed. When I go for full power shots, it definitely slows down, which is mm -hmm. kind of annoying, and it kind of gets in my head. But um, other than that, I've, I have I've, have no pain at all, no issues really with anything. Oh, that's good. And I, now I'm assuming you're a right-handed backhand player, right? Yep. So for people you know, listening on the podcast, um, when you're planting for a sidearm, you're planting with your left foot, and that's where your tear or your – Fracture kind of happened. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Wow. So the next contract that you signed with Prodigy, Prodigy is specifically going to say no skateboarding or longboarding. <laughs> yes. Very good. Awesome. Can we ask, is it uh, fair to ask you if you've had any other sponsors reach out to you um, at any point in this last year or two besides Prodigy or even after the Waco um, play? <laughs> yeah. Um, I know I had Discraft kind of reach out to me. Um, I think it was after 2019, after I'd hit that whole thousand rated thing. And then uh, Discmania a few years back reached out to me. But that was that was actually a week after I got on Prodigy. Discmania reached out to me. But really, like, 
my uh, my heart's always been with Prodigy because Will's my favorite player. I don't know if you can mm-hmm. see the poster right <laughs> yeah, up there. Yeah, I was going to say, you can kind of see the poster. Yeah, so, but yeah, that's it. But I'll, I'll probably stick with Prodigy for a while. All right. Very well, cool. I think after, yeah, I think after the play, that's why I asked the question. After that play, and if you do it again, and then you do it again, or anything, you know, significant, top 20, I think you're going to have people coming for you. Um, mm-hmm. So Prodigy is going to either have to step up. I don't know what they're doing for you now, but they'll probably have to step up their game. So that's good for you as an athlete. Awesome ambition there. Is this something that you want to do um, all the way, like throughout? If you gradu- if you keep playing well and you graduate high school, is this something you want to do as a uh, possible career? Yeah, I want to play for as long as possible. Um I'll definitely get a college degree just in case, obviously, because, I mean, I'm going to get too old eventually. But, um, yeah, I definitely want to, like, especially with this year and next year, it's an experiment to see if I can really make it my career and, you know, make some money off of it. Awesome. Um, Is there anything that we missed that you would like to share? Because this is an opportunity to let people out there who are your fans already and becoming fans um, know about you, maybe something we missed. Is there anything that you'd like to share? Yeah, so I want to share how I got into disc golf. Awesome. The reason I got into disc golf when I was about like maybe even nine or ten, I was watching Brody Smith videos on YouTube about him throwing into basketball hoops, and I had Mm -hmm. a basketball hoop in my backyard because we had a park a huge wide open space so i went to my local sporting goods store to go get a get a ultimate frisbee to do those same trick shots just because i thought it was so cool and i bought uh in of a champion firebird by accident and i kind of just like stuck with it and so brody is really the reason that i got into disc golf which is kind of cool and now that he's playing disc golf is awesome i'm like following him every single tournament and just you know always rooting for him so that that's kind of a cool uh way how i got into disc golf i have a feeling and nick will have to make sure if it doesn't happen but i have a feeling brody's going to hear that he is a regular listener of our show and um Mm -hmm. i think that'll be inspiring for him don't you agree nick (laughs) oh absolutely um i think it's going to motivate him to try to get past gannon over in the ratings (laughs) department but you know it's going to take just nick just keep working nick what's it going to take for you to to beat out 15 year old gannon burr I don't know. I got to learn how to play more than one tournament. Well, you know, that's my issue right now. <laughs> awesome. You, you mentioned, um, Gannon, as we get ready to, to let you loose here, uh, you mentioned you'll probably hit another six events. Do you know those off the top of your head, the ones you're planning to be at? Um, yeah. So Music City Open, Jonesboro, DDO, Preserve, Idlewild, D-Glow, um, I'm definitely missing one. You gotta come MVP to. Or you have to come to MVP. Come on. Oh, I can't. It's uh. too far. <laughs> I, I I really want to. That'll probably be next year. Uh, so yeah. I'm not going to anything uh, West Coast, mm-hmm. but um, I actually have a map up there with all my tournaments <laughs> on it. I I'm not. I'm going <laughs> to okay. Clash of the Canyons and USDGC. I'm. I mean, I assume if I keep up the play I'm I'm doing right now, I'll qualify. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was actually surprised. I didn't know that Waco wasn't a qualifier. Uh, I thought it was. You know, funny, I was actually just about to ask you, is Waco even a qualifying event this year? I don't think um, so. Su- surprising that it's not. I don't really know how all the qualifying events work. I'm curious to look into that. But I'm surprised that DGPTs don't already count, like DGPTs, NTs, majors, and everything like that. You would think that the top-level events in our sport would all be USDGC qualifiers, but I'm sure there's criteria that they all got to go through. So 
I was going to say, you know what surprises me? Because you're saying you're surprised it's not USDGC qualifier. I'm like, what surprises me is that there's a 15-year-old who's saying, hey, I should have qualified if it was a qualifier. Like, and and this Crazy is coming we live in. <laughs> this is coming from me who started kids disc golf. So it's not surprising that the talent's there. I so surprising is probably not the right word. It's more of just like we're here. It's now mm -hmm. and uh, it's happening. So congratulations to you again. I, I think congratulations is in order. Um, is this your highest finish at a disc golf pro tour event? Yeah, it's my. It's only my second one actually. Okay. I played Jonesboro, but that was when I was still hurt, and I think I got. Mm -hmm. I think I got 39th. I had no double bogeys the entire tournament. Good and I double bogeyed the last hole and missed cash by one. Oh, no. With an injury. With an injury. <laughs> yeah. So I was actually throwing one-footed sidearms. So I'd balance on my right foot and just yank a sidearm over, and I could get about 300 feet of distance. So, I mean, it was it was still there. You, you, you might be out-distancing Matt on a good sidearm. I don't know yet, but you might you might be taking him out on that one-legged firing oh, sidearm. Yeah, go yeah, go watch uh, Simon's recent vlog where I do a CT pa CTP challenge with Simon. You can see how far I throw. Yeah, solid 300. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Gannon, where can, uh, where can the people find you on the social medias? Oh, yeah. So my Instagram is Gannon underscore Burr underscore DG. And Facebook is just Gannon Burr. And then I look, I'm trying to start a YouTube channel. I kind of got to figure out the editing and whatever. Um, but that'll be something you can follow me on because I'll be doing I have a course that is about a quarter mile from my house. I help design and it's like a perfect course to do like funny challenges and stuff. So I'll try to push out some content and, you know, keep getting my name out there. Nice. Good for you. I think that's the best way people can do it right now is just getting into the YouTube game, um, being active on all the social medias. Definitely. Uh, I remember my good buddy, Hunter Thomas, he was the one on Twitter and he said he was super excited to watch you play on the lead card at Waco. And he said, you're only 15 years old. And pretty much right then and there, I was like, holy crap, that, that's actually insane. So that's, you know, <laughs> to be honest, I've heard of your name before in the past of, you know, you were the first player to hit thousand at such a young age. Um, but I actually, I didn't remember it going into the Waco event. So that's pretty cool to finally actually get to sit down, talk with you and everything like that. I'm very curious and excited to see where your game elevates to. For sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Gannon. Uh, I hope, and um, it, based off of what I've seen, I think we'll have you on the show again at some point to talk about your successes. So congratulations again and um, have a great and safe evening. I know you traveled all day. Hopefully you sleep well tonight. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, man. Take it easy. Peace man. out. We'll see you around. All right. Bye. Yeah. Peace. Nick. Look at that, Matt. We just did three guests in one night. And uh, unfortunately, with all the technical difficulties that we had, we weren't able to do it live. But at the same time, you know, oh, it's live. we're doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah, imagine. No, it's as in like, this is how we've done our show. We yeah. record live. It's just the mm -hmm. difference is right now we don't have, you know, a million people chatting about it. So exactly. Um, Which it is what it is. Yeah. But we still have some fire topics. To oh, talk man. About. Matt, you want to bring us in? All right. Let's let's give this a go. First, well, wait, before we do that, and I know our listeners are probably like, why are you talking about internet quality? Yeah, right. Gannon's internet quality was fire. Talking about fire points. Like, that was the best. I'm like, how is he a disc golfer and he has good Wi-Fi? 
<laughs> oh, see, what's funny about that is my internet quality right now is hot garbage, so everything on my screen is just wicked blurry. So I'm actually very excited to hear that his was actually pretty decent. It was so good. I hope our viewers appreciated yeah. that. So here's it's it's funny that those are the things that we you know look forward to is when we have on guests because like I said, my internet quality is crap right now. So all of our guests' internet quality to me has seemed bad because mine is. Awful. We're gonna have to do a rating. At the end of the right. year of like yeah. disc golf interviews by Wi-Fi strength or internet connectivity. That would actually but be hilarious. Kona was actually really surprisingly good too. Like I was a yeah, I so, saw I saw her setup until you know on the Skype screen <sighs> it was just me completely frozen. So I felt like I was talking to myself that whole interview, but it was cool to hear her voice and get some cool answers out of her. Really? Are you seeing are you yeah. seeing us now or no? It's still... uh, yeah, I'm okay. seeing us. All now. right, all right, here we go. Enough talk about technical <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Although that took up a significant portion of our our time tonight. Yeah, right. Okay, so Waco, you ready? Mm -hmm. We talked about it with all these players, their successes, but here is a huge topic. Nico Locastro, longtime player in the sport, takes down his second disc golf pro tour event, his first mm -hmm. one last year at the Preserve. Um, obviously, he was super pumped. He didn't know that he had won until they announced it, and you could just see the emotion flying, right? This one he takes down. He did know, and there was a lot of there's a lot of tells during that round that he knew what was going on, um, and we mm -hmm. will talk about that a little bit. But congratulations to him, like yeah, oh god, to yeah. take down an elite series with the field that was there is a lifetime achievement for anybody. I mean, realistically, so you can look back at the preserve and. I don't think Ricky or Paul were at that event. I know Eagle was there. Calvin was there. Simon, Simon was yep. there. There were a lot of big time pros, but I do know that I'm, I'm pretty sure that Ricky, I know Paul was not there. Um, so for Nico to come back and here at Waco, go out and take everyone down. Realistically, the only top name player that wasn't there, uh, I should say Simon, obviously with his injury. And then Nate Sexton, obviously wasn't playing the event. But other than that, I mean, I feel like every single top 10 player in the world was at that event. You had the Dickerson, you had Heimberg, you had Macbeth, you had Wysocki, you had Eagle. Um, and to be honest, this year at Waco, it was a struggle bus for a lot of these players. <laughs> That's a whole nother topic. Let's yeah. let's, before we get to that, let's um, talk for a minute here. Nico averaged 1,058, which mm -hmm. I feel is borderline low for winning an event. But again, oh, so I just lost your feed. I don't know if you're still there or not, but yep, I'm gonna I just I'm just gonna jump to my uh, camera for a second. Let me see here. All right, um, borderline low, but it was very consistent. You played out there, Nick. How hard would it have been to shoot a 54, 54, 55, 26 under par? You know, I'm gonna be brutally honest. I attempted to play disc golf. I actually, technically, I played a lot of disc golf this weekend, <laughs> and I guess I went in with the mindset that the most disc golf wins because I was very close to doing that. Um, no, uh, to shoot the scores at any of those, you know, top name players, eleven downs, nine downs, eight downs, whatever they shot, um, to do it in those crazy wins that the first two rounds had, it, it's absolutely wild. It was actually probably the most unenjoyable conditions I've ever played in. So when we always ask that question and judge that disc golf or what would I rather play in, I'm going to say torrential downpour 10 times out of 10 because playing in that wind was just not fun to me. 
So shout out to Nico for actually being able to do that. And um, yeah, shooting 54, 54, 55, finishing 26 under par is it's pretty wild. The last day was definitely the calmest of them all, but there were still little wind gusts. Yeah, I think one of the other takeaways here is it was possibly going to be a runaway. Nico was doing really well, did very well. Uh, but Kayla Visca just pushing so hard and impressive with the play that he was doing to where about halfway through you said, eh, it's not really a chance here. But then Nico missed a few putts and Kale made a few moves. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, there's a two-stroke you know, swing and you're like, okay, so there might be. And it goes all the way down to hole 17, just playing it out for people that watched it. You know what I'm talking about. Um, Nico, uh, it's like the kind of like what you might call like a peninsula style hole as far as how OB plays and the water plays to it. Um, Nico is significantly short on the basket, um, 70 feet plus, and Kale is pretty much inside 20 feet. Um, if Nico does not hit his putt, Kale most likely does and they're tied going into 18. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the battle that you want to see. Eight hole 18, what's the play? Do both people lay up and try to take a tie yeah. to the playoff? What do you think would have happened there? No, I mean, it, it was insane because Nico started out that round, I'm pretty sure, either 7 through 7 or 8 through 8. I can't 100% remember, but let's just say he started out 7 through 7. And at that point, I I was looking at UDisc Live scoring, and I'd almost written it off like, oh, yep, Nico's got this at the bag at this point. And then all of a sudden, you just see Kale's name keep creeping up, creeping up. And then on hole 14, he had gained a stroke by hitting a nice outside-the-circle putt. Hole 15, he hit another outside-the-circle putt. And then so going – he's down one at this point going into 17. Nico throws kind of a shorter drive but a decent position for a nice flick. Throws outside of circle two. And so we are all kind of sitting there. We're like, okay, well, you know, he's probably going to run it, but more than likely just put it underneath the basket. Kale looks like he's probably going to, you know, get the birdie three, and then it's not going to 18. And then Nico just does this crazy little spin slash throw slash putt all at once. It was nice and aggressive, and he played the headwind perfectly. It lifted it up at the perfect time. It was soft, and he drained it from probably about 70, 75 feet. So that... Did you? That right there was huge. That was easily the shot. of. The, go ahead. I was going to say one of the tells of him knowing where he was in the round was uh, it, he celebrated in such a way that was telling more than just like hitting a big putt. He turned around and was fist pumping and saying, let's go, let's go. So like he yeah. knew there was some pressure here on the line, obviously watching how Kale played out. Um, but it was interesting. I'll just kind of jump to it real quick in his interview at the end he alluded to the fact that there weren't very many people clapping for him um, when he oh, yeah, when he did was, that on hole 17. About, yeah, I was just about to bring that up. It was um, – so hole 17, he threw his drive. They all landed in bounds, you know, pretty routine. And disc golf fans and disc golf players, I, I swear, were kind of weird when it comes to, like, when people think they're allowed to clap or whatever. Like, if, if anyone throws a shot in bounds, I'm clapping for it. If they put a shot anywhere near the basket, especially on 17, where your second shot is pretty hard to get to, you know, I'm going to sit there and clap for it if you throw it in bounds, whether there's no wind or a ton of wind. Um, but on Nico's second shot, he'd actually, he threw it. We all knew it was in bounds, um, but he had put it to like 75 feet. And so I think because he wasn't in circle two or circle one, 
people weren't as impressed, especially because there was no wind. So like not, uh, I think like barely anyone clapped for him, which, you know, was kind of funny to me because I'm sitting there kind of like, you know, if, if everyone silently claps, not silently, but quietly claps, then it actually sounds like a lot of people clapping. And, um, you know, it just kind of felt like nothing. So Nico walked by and he's like, <laughs> you know, and here they are all silent. Like no, he's, you know, thinking in his head, no one wants to actually see him land in bounds. But then when he hit the massive putt in 17 or throw, I don't, I don't really know. I guess you kind of call it a throw in, but when he hit that, um, everyone cheered, everyone erupted. It was insane. It was an incredible shot and it was an incredible moment in disc golf, an incredible moment in Nico's career. And it was incredible that Kale matched it, you know, and he hit a nice 30 footer. He also hit a big putt. And so we were all cheering for that Kale shot. The reason a lot of people clap for it is because he did throw it. He threw it into circle one and, you know, I think, like I said, disc golfers are weird. Disc golf fans are weird right now. I, I think because of this whole COVID thing, no one knows when to clap. No one knows <laughs> what it's like to be a spectator anymore at this point. It's it's just all weird. Yeah, but I think what's interesting and as a takeaway here is that Nico, well, just put any other player in his position. If people didn't clap when Kale did his approach, do you think in a victory speech that would have been a part of his conversation, of Kale's conversation? I don't think you know, so. I don't think so. I'm speculating. But I think that this is part of Nico's persona, if you will, and what yeah. the disc golf, I'll use the word community, but the disc golf fans are pressing very hard on this individual to where he has this fight or flight. And and mm -hmm. it's funny, he, he has a sponsor hat that says Flight Club. <laughs> it's so, yeah, it seems so say, perfect. I was like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've seen that recently. Flight Club. Um, it's, yeah, it seems funny. so perfect for Nico in the sense that like he is coming, he, he even says it like more or less, like if you hate me and he said this in one of his like interviews and I'm not quoting it perfectly, but if you hate me, then you better stop watching because I'm just gonna, I'm going to win. I'm going to keep playing. I'm going to keep doing yeah. well. I have no shade to throw at the guy at all. I will bring up this topic now though. The chat rooms were on fire with time violation, like calls. Like mm -hmm. he's taking too long. He's taking way too long. It's 45 seconds. It's 50 seconds. It's a minute 15. Mm -hmm. It's 30. Like the rule is this. And just to clarify for everybody, there's enough. I don't want to say it's gray area, but there is enough gray area that it would be near impossible to call anybody. Now, the rules do say if somebody is taking excessive time, which would be more than, and I can actually kind of read it out to you here. Um, mm -hmm. If it's your turn, and I'm summarizing this, if it's your turn and you've had reasonable amount of time, reasonable is in quotation marks on my end. <laughs> if you've had a reasonable amount of time to determine the lie and the playing area is clear and free of distractions, then you would need to putt within 30 seconds. Now, Assuming it's your turn, okay? Assuming it's your turn, you're approaching your lie, you've determined where your lie is, but it says you've had a reasonable amount of time to determine. So that's going to be discretionary. That's going to be on the TD or uh, some official yep. on what that is. So that's, first of all, just like a referee in, in NFL or anywhere else. Like, it's discretionary. It's like they, they get to choose if that's what it means or it doesn't mean, number one. And then yeah. the players are supposed to call it but you know what that would mean to me? Unless I had a literal timer out as a player, there's no way I'm calling it. I could say I'm super sure it's more than 30 seconds, 
But when did that yeah. timer start? Like, when did you I'm start that sure timer? I'm pretty sure you're supposed to actually have, like, a. am pretty sure in order to legitimately call someone on it, I'm pretty sure you actually have to have kind of like a stopwatch style thing going. I don't think you can really just count it out in your head. <laughs> but, yeah, I think the discretionary part of that is when does that lie actually start? And I think, it's, you know. It's discretionary. Of, yeah. The, Who, what the, what the, are you yeah, going to do? One of the few times that you, one of the few times that you can really think, okay, I can start the clock here is when, you know, and I'll, I'll just use myself as as an example, um, when I'm lining up a putt, you know, it's pretty much when I step up behind my mini, I plant my feet and I kind of do my little motion, my little jig, pre-shot, warm up, whatever. Um, and then how long it takes for me to put it actually to the basket. I think upshots or drives or stuff like that. There's so many different ways you can kind of allude around it to where, you know, if I'm throwing a shot and I'm looking at my second one, I'm not technically, I'm probably not going to walk right up behind my mini. And then line it up and then walk away and then go back and then walk away again. I think that's where, you know, when do you actually start the clock? And, you know, this is completely different, but like, I don't believe players should have to be the one to call. Let's talk about other players on. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's multiple things going on here. If we were to run a timer and, I can say that there have been people that have done this. Um, Mm -hmm. I did a companion feed with Simon. (laughs) And at one point during this companion feed, Simon goes, hey, can you pull up a timer? (laughs) And I was able to pull up a timer. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so the times that I pulled up the timer, it was very close. And if you gave benefit of the doubt to the player that, hey, they hadn't fully addressed Mm -hmm. their lie yet, they didn't feel like there was free of distractions, because that's all part of the rule. Then the times that we pulled up the timer, he was okay. Now, I think if I'm being honest, there are times where it's pretty obvious as well that he is taking excessive time. But here's where your question comes in. Do the players, and I guess this is kind of a yes or no for you, Nick, just just, I'm interested in that. Mm -hmm. Do the players want to have that responsibility? Now, no. Okay. Now, that's, I want to say that's too bad. In a lot of ways, right now, that's too bad. That is their responsibility. Number one, I think it's too bad because it is their responsibility. Yes, I, you know, I can agree with that. Obviously, yeah. So we have, I wouldn't say quite a problem because some people are going to say it's cut and dry. Well, it's the rules. It's too bad if you don't like the rules, then go somewhere else. But there is a players' uh, committee, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, this could be addressed. I know Simon. He said it publicly on his companion feed, so I'll just reiterate it right now. Simon said. Um, hey, I reached out to the PDGA and more or less asked them to clarify this and to, to answer the question, like, why are we in this position to do this? And and Simon, yeah. I, I don't want to put words in his mouth for this one, but he was more or less like saying, it just makes for a bad vibe. And like, I'm probably thought, never going to do it. Yeah, I mean, shoot, even calling someone on a footfall creates a bad vibe. You kind of get looked at as the bad guy. And I want to shout out uh, Zach Melton really quick. Zach Melton is super active on social medias and actually especially twitter i've become more active on the uh, disc golf twitter lately and someone straight up asked him and said hey zach how do you feel about this yada 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 and zach melton was like look it sucks having to call people on these kind of rules because then you're perceived as the bad guy you know whether it's jordan castro calling kevin jones on a footfall or eric oakley calling paul mcbeth on a footfall or you know Someone having to go up to Nico during the round and say, hey, man, you're you're taking way too long. And I think the only reason people complain that he's taking too long 
is because there's actually a rule that says, hey, you can only have 30 seconds. Like, what if that rule was you have a minute and 30 seconds to go up? Would you guys still complain that he's taking over 45 seconds? That's where the curiosity, because there, there was... That's a great point. You know, I, th- I think it was either hole 15. Um, he was putting on hole 15 from, like, 20, 25 feet, probably. And I think, you know, someone had pulled out a stop clock, and I think it was, like, 35 or 45 seconds. But his upshot on 17, you know... When you could say, when I would have said, hey, that's when you started lining that up, it took 45 seconds to a minute. And, you know, obviously I'm just at this point an innocent bystander on the sideline. I'm not going up to him and being like, hey, man, you know, I got to call you on 45 seconds. I don't think that's the right thing. But in a perfect world, we would have an official on every single scorecard, someone, excuse me, every single, you know, tournament card, someone who is a scoring official as well as a rules official. And I think that would turn into where a player does not have to do the U-Disc live scoring because, honestly, I think that's one of the worst things that a player should have to focus on during their tournament is having to do live scoring either during the hole or at the end of a hole. Uh, I think, you know, volunteer. obviously we're in a different year right now. There's a pandemic going on. I understand that volunteers, you can't have too many people at a certain place. I understand that before I get roasted in the chat, but, <laughs> and the logistics um, are really tough on that. Yeah. But yeah. It's a great and, idea. But I think, yeah. I think for one thing that might be kind of something that happens in the future, which I don't want it to, because I think it's unfair, but I'm curious what other people think of it is if, you know, say we have Jomez Pro, we have the DGPT Live, so the Disc Golf Network Live cameras, but then we have Gatekeeper, and let's just say like GK Pro, filming MPO, FPO cards one, two, and three. For those specific cards, especially the live network, so let's say the lead card going into the final round, do you have, you know, let's just say Jeff Spring goes out and makes sure he watches the final round no matter what. Do you have that person who, you know, do you make Jeff Spring the all-time person who is allowed to call people on foot faults? And, you know, do you make him an official? I'm not, I'm saying Jeff Spring as an example because he's the CEO, but I'm saying, like, do you have someone in specific, every single lead card, you know? It's just tough. Out there. The conversation comes up because it, that's lead card, I, and it would be a disadvantage, if you will, to the I think it's a others. disadvantage for the lead card because now no other card is having to deal with well, that. But I do yeah. think eventually disc golf is going to have to get to a point to where players shouldn't have to be moderators. Okay, so we can, we can agree on that. I actually like that. Whether or not – see, some people are going to be literal in their argument here and say it is what it is. And so let me, let me clarify. It is the rules. And mm-hmm. so it's – sore luck like too bad for the pros who don't like it if if they feel like it's a violation in fact it would be interesting to pull those three players who are playing with nico and say do you feel like he was um breaking the rules or 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 pressing his limits do you feel like he was violating what the rules say and if three out of if all of them said yes which i feel like that would be pretty safe to assume then what we have here is a problem where the PDGA now is going to have to, or they should, they should react to this and say, hey, players, it, it could go one of two ways. Players, we are observing clear violations during the live feed. Mm-hmm. Like, and you guys are not calling it. And then the players would have to say, yeah, because we don't like that rule. And so it needs to be adjusted. Well, th- at least yeah. then you'll have people come to the table and say it needs to be fixed. But it, here's here's where I'm going with this is that 
it doesn't come off looking good for the governing body. Like it does not come off looking good. I'll say for the sport, but for the PDGA, it makes it yeah. almost a joke because it's a rule. The players are supposed to call it. They're not calling it because they think it's a stupid rule. So who's really the governing body here, the players or the PDGA? Like that's kind no, of, where, that's kind yeah. of where I'm at. I, I, I agree with you hundred percent on it. And it sucks because you know, the only time that, a player is going to get kind of like scrutiny for that is when they're on the live coverage <laughs> exactly. and you're like, Hey, why isn't Matt Graham calling Nick Carl <laughs> on a 32nd violation? But if you and I were playing on the last car together, you know, neither of us would probably care if you were taking uh, 35, 40 seconds. Per actually, time. you and I would just call each other back and forth. <laughs> we probably would just for fun. No, but, but, but here's you know, to, to, to me yeah. personally, I, I remember a tournament that I played years ago. I started out the first round. I did pretty well. The second round I was playing with a bunch of, you know, low-key touring players um and i remember one of them was a very very slow player and uh, probably the slowest player that i've actually ever played with and it definitely took a while and it, it was actually it was hard for me because i had started out the round well and then i remember i, I had one very bad hole and my mindset kind of sh got shot from that and then instead of being top of the box like I was for the first four holes, now I've got this player in front of me who takes the full 30 seconds. Meanwhile, I'm sitting back there. I'm like, dude, I'm ready to throw. Like, you just missed a perfect wind opportunity. Like, why are you taking so long? <laughs> so for me, I feel like, hey, I, I'd be hella frustrated when it came to that. But at the same time, do I care enough to sit there with a stop or like a stopwatch or whatever? That that's the tough part. And I, thirty I, seconds, it it really is a long time. When you actually sit there with a stopwatch, thirty seconds is a long time. I don't think I could ever line up a putt for thirty seconds unless it was the most obstructed putt, and I really needed to find my footing. But like actually standing there on a thirty footer wide open. And I've seen people line it up for 25 seconds. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, but. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start a clock right now. I'm going to keep talking, but I'm going to start a clock mm -hmm. right now. And I'm going to tell you in 30 seconds is up. So as mm -hmm. part of the conversation, is it according to the rules? Is, is there time violation? Yes. Again, yeah. I'll just reiterate pros don't want it to be a rule. It seems like. And so what would we go to? It should be, I think, you know, play it by pace of play. Go to more of the golf structure. Pace of play, mm -hmm. if it's too slow as in cards are running into you, then you need to step up the pace. And that's where the courtesy could come in. So yeah, after I, saying I all think... of that, did I have enough time to line up my putt? That's 30 seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I don't, I don't think pros really necessarily want it to change when it comes to like 30 seconds, 45 seconds, or a minute. I think they, just, they really just don't want to be the people that have to call their card mates on the rule. Because there, there are times where, you know, shoot, if you actually have to take the full 30 seconds, if you're obstructed in the woods or whatever, you know, by all means, do your thing. If you're trying to wait 15 seconds for potentially the wind to die down, I don't think that's an issue at all. I just, I think the issue is the players having to be the ones to yeah, but, pretty much be the bad guy in that sense. Yeah, but which one, and this is why I say what I said, which one is more likely to happen quicker? The PDGA to get officials or the disc golf pro to get officials on every single card at the event mm -hmm. or no, they, they would up the time or I was going to say, or change. I think yeah. as far as that's concerned, it would not be that hard to say pace of play. Now do I, in the grand scheme of things, is this topic even a big deal as far as like competitive play? No, 
absolutely not. Like this has nothing to do with it. Does it have to do with the rules and the PDGA's and you know enforcement of them? Yes, it looks funny mm-hmm. for the sport. Those are separate things. No player is feeling like there's an unfair advantage being had. At least the ones that I've heard. If there are, they should speak yeah. up. Um, so that's that's really on that. And then just to wrap up the Nico talk, uh, I wasn't totally far, like way out there when I said I think he got injured and didn't want anybody to know about it um, for the All Star Weekend mm-hmm. uh, when he dropped out, and that's what happened. He's live on Disc Golf Network saying that he injured his hand after punching a punching bag, hanging out with some friends. Um, he was very very quick to follow up after he said he's punched he punched something that. It's not because I was angry. Mm-hmm. Um, that is another tell to me that he is very, very aware and fueled, if you will, by people's opinions of him and the hate. And unfortunately, yeah. it's fueling itself like gasoline and fire. It's like the more he talks about it or acts on it, the more the haters want to keep bringing it. It's just going to keep mm-hmm. cycling. So that was interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's actually the first time, first time that I'm seeing that. Because I'm not really – I didn't watch any of the post-round interviews, winner – speeches or anything like that yet he showed um, his hand yeah, that, he I showed mean, his she, hand to the you, camera and, yeah, and if you, it's if you, knuckles his knuckles like pushing out yeah if you don't punch a punching bag correctly or anything correctly like you can really you know screw up your wrist your hand or anything like that i mean look at what happened to eagle back in what 2019 <laughs> yeah look at what happened to tristan tanner recently i mean you hit something the wrong way and it's it's not good for your hand so kudos to him for stepping up and pretty much not stepping up, but just telling people kind of silencing what's going on. But yeah, you could tell he think- was, he was a little apprehensive when asked mm-hmm. like more or less like, Hey, like what happened? I don't remember how the question was posed, but he was a little apprehensive to answer. And he finally was just kind of like, uh, and he kind of said it. And that's when he's like, quick, Oh no, it's not like I wasn't angry. Like he was, it was, yeah. it was interesting, yeah. but he played and he showed his knuckles were messed up. So I don't know if he mm-hmm. said he was fully in pain, but his grip is a little weird, but he obviously fought through it. And that's what he talked about. And congratulations to him. Yeah. Um, next topic before we, we're getting ready to wind down here, but next topic is FPO just in general, Nick, do mm-hmm. you feel the same as me? Like, First of all, th- great things, Kona winning. Um, but do you feel like, I, I, I don't want to say parody, because obviously we've had really close battle to Katrina. Paige has been pretty dominant, and then Kona's pretty dominant. We've seen some different yeah. things. But like, how much better in your mindset, at least in mine, would be having the Europeans over here <laughs> during all of this to see what would go down with like uh, Henna, with Evelina, with Kristen Tatar, yeah, I mean, shoot, you're talking about the third and fourth highest rated players in the world. They're actually technically tied for a second. Uh, Hedda and Evelina, they're all at 966 right now for their rating. Um, Evelina won Waco last year. Yeah. And then I remember Henna and Evelina both did very well at Memorial last year. So, I mean, obviously, and Kristen Tatar won U.S. Women's CGC back in 2019. <laughs> I mean, having Bring these European back. players over just brings over this whole new element to the game to where you have such a different style of play. You have such a different style of person. And from what I see, you know, I follow Kristen on Instagram and her and Silver, they're out playing almost every single day. They're taking care of their bodies by doing ice baths. You know, they're meditating. They're doing saunas and everything like that to where they're legitimately prepping their body for hopefully the future chance of being able to compete back once again in the USA. 
And hopefully, once again, you know, with American players going over to Europe to play for the European Open and the Sula Open, you know, we don't even have a word on that yet. But yeah, when it comes to the FBO division, I love the difference of names that we're seeing. You know, Las Vegas, you had Paige Pierce and Katrina running away with it. Paige Pierce ultimately coming out on top. Memorial, which was, I would say, the second. Oh, let's go back to the All Star weekend. Obviously, Kona won that. And then Paige Pierce at Las Vegas. And then Memorial, you had a little bit smaller of a field, but you still had a very competitive one with Owen Scoggins taking that one down, Haley King coming in second. And then now the Waco, you had Kona winning it by a commanding margin. And then I think you had Lisa and Sarah Hokum right there. Uh, excuse me, Owen Scoggins and Sarah Hokum right there in the mix of things. So it's cool. We're seeing a whole, I would say, different view of FPO players now. It's not just consistently the Paige, Kat, and Sarah. But We're starting to see newer players jump up. Yeah, but that's kind of my point is, like, imagine what it would be like with the Europeans. And yeah. I just I you bunch know, them all together. What would it be like? Yeah, we... We always say that. We always say, you know, how dominant the Europeans are, which clearly they have been. And we wouldn't be talking about it if they haven't been. But I'm curious. You know, you can see all the work Kona's done in the offseason. You can see work that a lot of these players have done. And obviously, Paige's rating, it doesn't lie. I'm not, suggesting that, I'm not suggesting yeah, no, no, no. that they come over and they're dominant. I guess I'm saying imagine the close battles that would just be going yeah. on at a, a, a um Agreed. at a more higher level it wouldn't just be the top two or um yep. i'm not actually more underplaying at all i'm not even yeah. underplaying that kona would have destroyed every european out there that weekend i think mm -hmm. she did something mm -hmm. that the whole average of the field was incredible could, yeah. couldn't do so like i think yep. kona wins regardless but i'm just saying like i just want to see that and that brings me to this point of Agreed. what has happened and we don't have to talk long about this, but what's happened to Haley King? What's happened to um, Heather Young? What's happened to Sarah Hokum? What's happened to, mm -hmm. and I could, I don't need to list everybody's yeah, names. You can, you can keep going on. I think, you know, Haley, you got to remember, we're three tournaments, two tournaments into the big season right now. This is only the second Pro Tour event. Um, I think players are still getting off that initial rust Um Haley, you know, said it. She didn't play too, too many rounds over the offseason. She's from Wisconsin. It's definitely not somewhere where you can play every single day during the wintertime. Um, she's also dealing with an injury. I forget if she said it was an ankle or an elbow. She mentioned an seeing... ankle in a yep. social post that she's dealing yep. with. Interesting so she... for her to mention that mm -hmm. because she says she's playing through it. Yeah. But so potentially that's obviously whether someone talks about the injury or not, it's obviously hindering them in yes. some sort of way. Yes. Heather, I'm not really sure. Heather, you, you know, we got courses right now, especially like Vegas and Memorial. Those were long courses, not really her style. I expected kind of a little bit more here at Waco, but was I'll she give her a break on this one. Okay. You're giving her a break. I'm saying, and I'm saying like, I've asked for Ezra, like, was she, yeah. was she overrated? Um, well, I, as a player, I'll give, I give a lot of people a break this last tournament in the sense of they, <laughs> okay, they played you were there. stupid, stupid amounts of wind. Yeah. It, it was just, like I said, for me personally, it was unenjoyable. I know no one cares about my horrible, horrible finish, but <laughs> playing out there, it, it was just, so you know, it was boring. And these are obviously professionals. They should know how to play in this kind of wind and everything, but it, it was just, can a lot. we expect it was hard. 
and I was going to ask you that originally, like what was going on? Because the the whole story is like, look at Eagle McMahon, for instance, yeah. highest rated player in the world shooting. What was it? 47th last cash. Like, um, yeah, just literally had to shoot an eight down the final round to it, get last cash. If you haven't checked, you know, U disc or scores and you're listening to this right now, just take a, a mental guess. If you've already know, it's obviously a pointless question. But where do you think Paul placed? And my initial reaction without fully looking was that he placed somewhere 10th or worse, but mm-hmm. he finished in all actuality fifth place. <clears throat> yep. Um, which is again, but the point in Ricky finished in 11th and Ezra finished in 25th or whatever it was like, there's so Greg Barsby, like 78th, Dave Felberg, like 80th, yeah. like there's names that are, you could, I should pull up the whole list here. I'm stuttering because like there were so many good players that did not perform yeah. well. So uh, you're not, you're not. Terry Roethlisberger, Ben Calloway, you know, Marky Chap, even from Massachusetts. Like there's a lot of players who Casey White missed cash by one stroke. Yeah. Brody Smith it, was it, right in that 47th. I think that was last yeah, cash. Brody, Brody Smith got last cash and he made a very ballsy shot on hole 18. I saw that. The final day, the final day, we didn't have too, too much wind there. There definitely was some wind out there. Uh, but he he just threw a perfect nuke shot over the water. It was awesome. And um, so for him to jump up and get that birdie on the final hole, make that last cash, obviously that's a great thing. He's disappointed about his weekend, no doubt. And I know a ton of players are. It, there was very few players who I was actually able to talk to and say like, hey, man, how'd your weekend go? And they were like, oh, yeah, it went totally fine. Like most of these players were like, dude, that was awful. I never want to come back. Are we going to see um... – <laughs> social media posts from our top players in either division. Um, I don't want to use the word apologizing to fans, but are we going to see posts and I'm not making a prediction, but where they say, Hey guys, this lot, cause people do tournament recaps. And I think there's something to be yeah. said for Eagle for page uh, for Katrina. I think there's something to be said for players like that. We already saw Haley King make a post. She said that mm-hmm. mental game right now is not strong and she's dealing with stuff off the course. So yeah. as in like there's stuff happening that's in her mental game while she's playing that's happening off the course. So mm-hmm. um, are we going to see more players talk about Waco or are they just going to be silent and be like, yeah, that was just what it was? <laughs> you know, to be honest, um, I think we're going to see, obviously, the traditional post, you know, post-tournament posts that a lot of players are doing. And um, I think we're going to see some excuses. We're going to see some blame on the course and everything like that. Ultimately, it was a tough weekend for a lot of people. Congratulations to the people who who did do well. You know, that was an incredible feat this last weekend. It's funny. I remember playing Waco last year and obviously it was cut short due to COVID really ramping up. And I remember actually loving that place. And then this year I went back to it. Practice rounds were all super windy. So I was like, all right, this kind of sucks. But like, you know, I feel like this is still my style of course. And then going into it, just every single tournament round, just mentally feeling defeated with how the conditions were and how I was playing in general, you know, my putting putting felt totally fine, which was a big confidence boost. Um, backhands didn't feel great forehands felt you know my forehand this year has felt better than it ever has Um, I was I was just not getting off the tee and everything like that so for me you know I can blame the course I can blame the wind but ultimately it it, it rolls back down to me Um, but I think a lot of players 
And I, I hope a lot of players in the future, instead of putting blame on the course of the wind or stuff like that, just say, hey, you know, this is something I got to work on. I was talking with Seth Muncy about that to where when you're doing tournament preparations, if I know I have to throw a lot of buzzes and a lot of putters throughout the woods, I need to go out to a field and practice those said things. And if I don't practice that, you know, why am I mad at myself when I screwed up the buzz shot? So, yeah. Yeah, I think honestly, though, we're going to see a lot of pros come out with their post-tournament traditional posts that say, you know, hey, I did awful, but hey, thanks for the support. <laughs> yeah. You know, go buy my I wonder, yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious what, what if they provide any insight into why they felt like they performed poorly. We obviously know the conditions were there. Um, mm-hmm. I think eventually we should start a Brody tracker on our show and track like his performances. I think we kind of have already done that a little bit because it's just, yeah, it's, the most part it's intriguing. Um, yeah. I did listen to an interview, shout out to running it with Nate Sexton. Um, Jarrett Orr is the co-host over there, actually the producer mm-hmm. of the show with Nate. And mm-hmm. um, they had Brody on recently and Brody said, this year is kind of, uh, I don't want to say a practice year, but an experience year. Um, and he says he's going to be looking for the W's is how he put it in 2022. First of all, that's mm-hmm. a pretty... Uh, old claim to be looking for the w's that being said that being said you have to do that as a competitor but that right there would totally burn my hot take if he does that i said i don't think he'll ever finish in the top three at a pro tour event um Mm -hmm. i hope he makes me eat my words i do support him and his competitive efforts i just think that's uh that's going to be a major milestone a few other points nick before we close out page pierce Big, big time moment, Sports Illustrated. Mm -hmm. Congratulations Mm -hmm. to her. Uh, What a dominant, you know, mover in the FPO side of the sport. Uh, Yeah, congrats to her. Imagine that moment being featured in such a a major headline um, illustration. Um, And then finally, I just want to shout out one more time, the Disc Golf Network. I think I've said it almost every single show. It is continuing to get better. Let me just be clear. Commentators aside, because you cannot find a commentator that everybody likes. You cannot do it. Exactly. So that aside, looking at the network feed and what they're doing, they're showing more plays than ever. Nick, they're doing what golf does. While somebody is walking to their next shot, they said, over here on hole 15, just a few minutes ago, here's what happened. And they literally show how it's playing out, like perfectly, seamlessly. And it feels like you're actually moving around the course, seeing what's happening live all around the course. Mm-hmm. Like you're not missing anything is what it feels like. Um, it's amazing. So Very cool. Um, I was actually, when I was going through our uh, show notes and everything, I was curious at what the Disc Golf Network has been doing so well because for the last two and the first two, I should say Disc Golf, Pro Tour events, I've actually been there live in person. So yeah. I've been watching, you know, after I finish my round and after I finish, you know, keeping up with Paul and Brody's round and all my good buddies, you know, we've all been watching the FPO coverage and I've been very much enjoying it. But at times it's like I'm watching my phone when the women are only 100 feet away from me. So sometimes I go out and actually watch them live in person. Um, so I haven't actually noticed the incredible things that they're doing. But now that I am home and here, I'm assuming that Belton being a silver series event is going to be on the disc golf network, right? I think so. And I assume so I could be wrong though. I will say this again. I did the companion feed with Simon and we ordered mm-hmm. pizza 
because <laughs> it was like a four hour show right. and Simon's yeah. on camera. And what happened was he's waiting to go eat the pizza when an advertisement comes on. And just to throw it out there again, they figured out how to do very minimal actual like commercial breaks to where mm-hmm. Simon keeps going, where's the commercial break? I'm so hungry. Like yeah, I want right. to eat the pizza. Right. And it, it, I feel like there weren't that many. It's just, it's come so far from that very large cry in the very beginning of the year at all stars. It very wasn't, cool. it wasn't awesome, but they've come so far so quick. Uh, it's just, I can't say enough good about it. Congrats to them over there. Uh, Mo, mm-hmm. Johnny V, Terry Miller, Jamie Thomas, obviously Jeff spring is, um, mm-hmm. in charge of a lot of that as well. So yeah, it's seeing seeing all them work live in person is is it's pretty incredible, and it's a very thankless job. One small thing, and you're gonna piss off ten different pros. It is what it is, <laughs> but um, they they really are doing a ton of work out there. They're working very well with the tournament directors and getting everything set up for the courses. I I tip my hats to them. I've enjoyed the two tournaments that I've played. I had an absolute blast at Vegas and I don't think I had a single complaint. Waco, my only complaint was, you know, the windometer, whatever, whoever turned <laughs> up the wind, you know, I, I hate you. But um tournament wise, I believe me, I, I enjoy that course a lot. It was fun to go to. But I have I have kind of a cool highlight story. All right, go ahead. only take like thirty only take like thirty seconds, but Obviously, I'll reiterate it. I had very lackluster play this weekend. It is what it is. But um, I did get to meet actually someone who I've looked up to in the disc golf world. Um, coming back way like way in the beginning, 2013, 2014, Vibram Open. And this is uh, Jay Yeti Redding. And I just think it's cool every single time someone sees him, they all make the you know Chewbacca sounds, the Yeti sounds, and everything like that. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just it's awesome. And uh, I was walking by. We were watching Kale and Nico battle it out in the last few holes, and he kind of took down his mask, and he was like, you know, I think he said, is that Nick Carl or is that Nicholas? He said something like that, and I was kind of like blown away for a second that, you know, this Hall of Famer disc golfer knew who I was. It was pretty incredible. I got to talk with him for a few minutes, and him and his wife have been doing incredible things, you know, for so long in the sport of disc golf when it comes to growing it with the Edge program and just themselves in general. So shout out to Yeti. You made my day. You made my weekend. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah. Thousand thousand plus rated guy there, so awesome. Yeah, oh, what he absolutely. does with Edge, um, educational disc golf experience, uh, mm-hmm. totally cool. That's awesome moment, Nick. Um, yeah, so I want to do this close out here where where I just mentioned if you've made it this far, mm-hmm. if you've made it this far and you're listening, it's not that big of a deal. But now you're going to get brought into the inner circle. <laughs> yeah. If you've made it this far, thank you very much. Nick's internet has been absolutely trash like nick if you watch this back you were frozen for 90 percent of all of this like it's yeah, just like sorry about it's, this. it's but here's the point if people are enjoying the talk and you made it this far thank you number two um this was really weird not doing it live we appreciate our live listeners so much like mm-hmm. it changes the vibe of the show. So please come back after you listen this far <laughs> to the end. And you, yeah. Next week when I, I don't know what happened, we're going to look, I'm going to do a lot of tests and figure out what's going on. But I will say thirdly, Nick is moving into, well, he's not moving his sleep location, but he's moving the studio officially going yes. to be in the same studio location. Yeah. See, so you're frozen there, Nick. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I keep seeing it. You, Believe me, I see it on be... my end, which is funny because like we were, we were Skyping last week before we went out in the RV, and yeah. it was fine. And then t- even tonight, it started out fine. Who knows what's going on? But so, I want to once again apologize We're going to into studio is my point. 
Yeah, exactly. I will actually tomorrow be heading down to Foundation to figure everything out with them, get things set Keep up. Keep me in hopefully. the loop with that because I, I would like to do these tests to figure out what's yeah. happening and to make sure we're on the same page mm -hmm. and good with it. But everybody, we've made it this far. Even though Nick's frozen 90% of the time tonight, we can still hear him. Yeah. And so as long as you can hear me, yeah. you know, I'm pretty happy with that. <laughs> uh, I've had I've had an allergy attack all day today. My left eye feels lazy right now because it's so tired. But um <laughs> no, seriously, for uh it's funny, Matt uh, earlier in the episode was saying to me that uh people were complaining that our last couple of shows were pretty short. Yeah. And that's funny because people in the past have complained that our shows are too long. So hopefully this was a nice happy medium. I I'm super excited to be back on the podcast grind. And I'm beyond excited to be in a place where there's good internet, good video quality, and everything like that. I'm, I'm very excited for that. <laughs> All right, everybody. We've gotten to that point of the show. We're going to close it out. Thank you guys very much. Nick, take it away. Thank you very much. Please don't forget to comment, like, subscribe, hit the thumbs up button, hit the post notifications button, go to the Foundation Disc Golf Podcast, or excuse me, the Foundation Podcast Network on YouTube, and then check us out on all your favorite uh, podcast platforms. Yeah. Tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. Nick, you're awesome. Peace out, everybody. Right back at you. Peace. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.